Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Of course, I am Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we've talked a lot about Greatest Gen Con 2017 on the show. Yeah. I feel like it's time to to formulate a plan, and I thought maybe we could do that uh, a little bit out in public so people can see the thought process. What do you think? You want them to see behind the pod, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to lift up my pod skirt and show them what's underneath. Well, I I almost exclusively record while wearing a kimono, so <laughs> it's only right that I open that up a little bit. Yeah, that's a that's great because I'm wearing a gi, and uh, <laughs> I feel I, f- I feel like we're kind of on theme. That's great. yeah. So. <laughs> I feel like we uh, we started thinking about Greatest Gen Con before we really understood the constraints, and you actually have like a uh, like you actually had a conversation with somebody who has some expertise in this kind of thing, right? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm friends with someone who helps facilitate Emerald City Comic Con, and so I had a pretty deep conversation with her about what we wanted to do. How we wanted to do it, uh, you know, uh, we've we've spent a lot of time brainstorming what we we would like a greatest Gen Con 2017 to be, and uh, and then you and I had a conversation about that conversation. Yeah, so I mean, I think that the thing that I got from your reporting back is that we basically can't get away with a a con where we are doing something uh, that might arouse the suspicion of a legal department. Right, because here's what I was able to glean from from this conversation. It's that, you know, it's one thing to go out and do a live show, and it is quite another to do an exhibition. Uh mm. An exhibition where wherein we would use property uh, as a way to sell tickets, and by property right. I mean intellectual property. Um, ex- exhibit either in part or parcel uh, movies and television programming based on those properties, and also uh, getting actors to appear at a con. Uh, is also a, an expense that I was shocked to hear about. The realities of getting even... And I don't want to be specific about, about who we would like to bring, but basically, it doesn't matter how low on the cast list you go. It is five figures to get any actor to show up to a con at all. So so like even somebody that signed one of my one of my uh, Star Trek trading cards, uh they would probably be on the higher end of that. Like it wow. is so I went into this conversation very excited and very hopeful at our chances of putting something together for our very excited viewers and I came away sort of crushed by it because she was like, "Look, I love you guys and I want you to do it." <laughs> but but here here's what you're dealing with if you decide to go down this road. And the, this was like not just the things that I'm telling you, but a list of things that were that were not uh, not insurmountable, not impossible to deal with. But TBH like made it an administrative challenge that made it seem far less fun than the idea of getting the gang together for some fun group hangs riffing on Trek and, and hitting and hitting a Remick pinata together, you know, <laughs> like, like it's well, that's so the thing. Like, I it's think not like the... I went into it all doe eyed thinking it was going to be easy, but I did not yeah. think it was going to be, uh, this difficult to put together. And, and it's not like I wasn't ready to work hard yeah. to make this happen. I don't want to make it seem like that at all. It seemed like for a variety of legal and expense reasons, 
I don't know if we can do it the way that that we were hoping to. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I think the original idea of Greatest Gen Con was Ben and Adam in the La Quinta in Victorville. Yeah. And if other people were there also, that would be hilarious. Yeah. Uh, whereas in uh, at some point, like, we started thinking, like, what if it was a real con? And I think that maybe us thinking what if it was a real con and not just us connecting on a very human level with the people that uh, that watch our show and are the reason we keep doing it, uh, maybe, maybe that was us getting off track. Like, maybe what we should do is get back to our roots, like, <clears throat> literally, like, go on fucking Expedia or something right now and book a couple of nights in Victorville for the two of us and just tell people when when we're going to be there. I love the idea that Victorville has become canonical greatest gen, you know? <laughs> yeah, it totally has. It's, uh, it's where the show was born in many ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The other the other weird place that the show was kind of born was New London, New Hampshire, which is where I was for many of our early episodes. Um, what do you think of that? What do you think of just like pulling a date out of thin air, making it our business to be there for uh, for a few nights, and just say like, "Hey, like we're gonna we're gonna hang out." Like maybe maybe uh, maybe we go so far as to like book a venue nearby and have a live show there, but like mainly it's just putting some some zinc oxide on our noses and hanging out poolside and just like being being there and hoping other people come. Yeah, like maybe we pivot into greatest gencation. Yeah, you know where it's just chill hangs, chill it's hangs, chill hangs, chill hangs, a live show. We're not violating anybody's copyrights. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'm of two minds on this. I am very focused on incorporating con-like attributes to our tour dates that we are putting together in the Midwest and the East Coast. Like, Con-like attributes, but not so much that we would get sued. Right. And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, neither neither legal nor botany bay type uh, <laughs> risks involved in these attributes. Yeah. So, for like, the record, we you won't be able to buy tickets to any of this on eBay. Right, right. So, like, there's the idea of of sort of folding some of the ideas that we've received from viewers into tour dates, and also uh, and also sort of creating a one off to pay off. This running joke that we handcuffed ourselves to <laughs> in season one, right? Like, like we got to pay this off. We got to do it somehow. We got to. It would be it, it would be criminal for us not to do it. So, a part of this conversation is to manage expectations about what a one-off event would be for us, <laughs> which I think is smart, and the other thing I think is to narrow down what that would be. Correct. Right. What do you think of this, Adam? We're uh, we're getting a little long here in our in our Marin, but I think we've kind of formulated the outlines of a plan that I really like because it's us, it's us kind of getting back to our roots, doing the greatest Gen Con that we first ever <laughs> imagined, and uh, you know maybe maybe we'll make it a thing where uh, where we raise a little money for charity or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, but it's not us like getting some huge con together that would necessitate us having a legal department and a ton of, you know, just a war chest of money that would make it prohibitive and unfun to do. Yeah, Um, I mean, because we definitely want this to be fun, uh, first and foremost. I love the idea that getting back to our roots is uh, is code for doing the minimum. (laughs) (laughs) I'm down. Well, what do you say we uh, get on to the episode we came here to talk about, Adam? Let's do it, Ben. It's one of the greats. It's season six, episode 10, Ronnie Cox, part one. (laughs) (laughs) That Ronnie Cox, though. This is a Ronnie Cox tour de force. It and, sure is, Adam. And 
Like, you know, so many people, when they think of Chain of Command, they only think of the four lights. They think of part two. But what you lose when you think of the four lights is a really great part one of a two-parter. It is sizzling how good this, this part one is. I think... It's all on Ronnie Cox's shoulders, too. If this part is miscast, I think the whole house comes down. The entrepreneur meets up with a hood-class starship known as the USS Cairo, and uh, Admiral Nacheyev comes on board and is kicking shit from the second she's, she's on. I'm afraid there's no time for the usual pleasantries. I'm here to relieve you of command of the Enterprise. You can tell she's a badass because she walks around without a communicator. She's like, she's like the person who leaves home without a cell phone. She's like, yeah, anyone or, who wants to talk to me can just walk right up to me. Like, I don't, or, I don't give any fucks. Yeah, like the president definitely doesn't have a set of keys in his pocket. You know? Right, yeah. Um, this is a totally different level of admiralty that Necheyev is. Right, and and uh, she comes on board and basically just unceremoniously tells Picard that he is being reassigned. He is no longer captain of the Enterprise, effective essentially immediately. This is a 40-second cold open, Ben. <laughs> Do you know how just, long the theme song is of the show? It's a it's minute like, and 40. This is the cold open equivalent of a kick to the nuts. It was... Awesome. So great. And basically everyone is doing Riker eyes to theme. <laughs> they basically do like Californians to theme. It's it's 30 seconds of cold open, 10 seconds of Riker eyes to theme. <laughs> it's the perfect open. It's amazing. The Californians. So we come back from theme and um, what is announced is that Picard is has been reassigned. It's like a it's a McLaughlin group issue one where Admiral Necheyev has the kind of remnants of the senior staff together, and she's explaining to them that Picard, Beverly, and Worf have been reassigned to something that is a secret. And instead of Will getting the the chair pulled out for him as he deserves. Starfleet Command has reassigned Captain Jellico of the Cairo to take over as captain of the Entrepreneur. And the reason is that Jellico is a grizzled veteran of dealing with Cardassians. And there's some Cardassian business that they need to take care of. This is an element of like the body politic that I've, that I've advocated for for a long time. It's like, Where's the grizzled admiral or the captain that's been in the shit? Like, I want to know more about that guy. I want to see that guy on the show. And here he is. Right. And you don't want it to be the captain that has gone, that has gone cuckoo about the, about the Cardassians and is, uh, is off, you know, AWOL firing torpedoes at them. Like, you want, you want the one that kept his wits about him and is the guy that Starfleet confidently turns to when there's some Cardassian shit afoot. The episode does a great job in in taking away, but not taking away entirely. Like, Picard has been relieved of his command. Beverly and Worf are on this mission, and yet they're still on the ship. They're like ghosts. So when so when Jellico gets command of the Enterprise, like it's it's like a breakup where you still see the person, and it, that makes it that much more difficult. Yeah, it's like you're broken up, but you're still roommates kind of a deal. Yeah, and that just, like, heightens the tension. It, it maintains the tension in a way that's just so effective. Yeah, there's there's a great scene in 10 Forward where, you know, Picard and Jellico are standing there, and Riker, you know, reports something to Jellico. And Jellico's like, Jellico has come onto this ship with a very different command style to Picard. And he is just, he's a no nonsense, no time for backup guy. He has a different way. He likes things organized. We have a standard three shift rotation. I'd like to change that to four starting tonight. Different way he likes things set up. I want you to install a bypass between the main phaser array and the secondary generators. Like he wants the ship rigged for battle. And that, that means like 
everybody's going to be busting their ass around the clock for two days straight. Get it done. In uh, anticipation of meeting up with the Cardassians. And, uh, and Riker is like, this fucking sucks. Like, this should have been my job, A. And B, why is he being such a dick about everything? I'm not used to this. It's not necessary to give Captain Jellicoe command of the Enterprise just to conduct a negotiation. You talked about it for a moment, but, like, the idea that command is given to anyone else besides Riker in this moment is shattering. You can see it on Frakes' face. You can see it, like... Necheyev almost relishes the idea of kicking him in the balls in that moment. <laughs> and it's like... And I want someone on the bridge who has a great deal of experience with the Cardassians. That's not you, bub. Yeah. It's just brutal. And there's something about, like... There's, like, a reverence for the D, right? Like, like we, mm-hmm. we love this ship. The, like, the actual ship is what I'm talking about. Right. And when... You see someone else as its captain besides someone that you know and love. It just feels wrong. It's like someone else driving your car or something. Like mm-hmm. it, there's something gross about it, and it's yeah. Uh, Jellico has adjusted the driver's seat and done the mirrors in a weird way. He's like, changed all the radio stations. Like it, it's really affecting in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. The way that Ronnie Cox, who is portraying Jellico, characterizes this this captain is great because he is this uh, this archetype of the of the military commander who is not really concerned with the morale of of his uh, of his underlings. Like he is Gene Hackman in Crimson Tide, getting on the radio going. It has been reported to me that there's a problem with morale. Yeah. Shape up, assholes! Yeah. And Ronnie Cox is a great enough actor that uh, he's really playing in the margins of his character a lot, which is so satisfying as a viewer to watch. Like, uh, his posture is... Like, he's a tall man. He's almost as tall as Riker, and yet he's got a little bit of a slouch to him. Like, he walks with like sort of a forward carriage, a forward momentum that's that's really speedy and fast. You see this when he walks around with data from station to station, like snapping his fingers and making shit happen. Get it done. He does it the second he gets off the off the transporter pad. Like he he essentially like falls forward off the transporter pad because he's already in motion and yeah. he marches Riker down the hallway going like, what's the shift rotation? Three? We're, it's going to be four now. What's, you know. Like, yeah. Like, get get reports to me on all the crew. Like, I want every section chief to give a, give a readiness report. I want it tonight. Like, this is happening. Yeah, his he also maintains eye contact, like, the entire time. He's never looking around. He's, like, razor-focused. And he's also real fidgety, like, with his hands. So there's, like, a conflict between what you're seeing through his eyes and what he's doing with his body, which I think is paid off a little bit later. Like, you get the sense that in tone of voice he's very authoritative but everything else sort of makes you question if he's all hat and no cattle you know yeah it um it really chafes against people like the the crew the entrepreneur are the best and the brightest and they really don't like being put in this position where all of their expectations have been upset and their you know competence is being re-examined and the the kind of esteem that they have with the captain has gone out the window and there's no understanding between them and their superior and as the xo it really falls on riker like all of the complaints are funneled towards him and unfortunately he's the worst conduit to elevate any of these issues because he and Jellico have gotten off on such a bad footing already because Jellico requests a four-shift rotation and Riker sort of drags his feet on that. And yeah. and Jellico, like, grabs him by the collar and, like, throws him out the door on it. He's like, I, I made a request. What the fuck is your problem? Like, get it done. It is a strange... Like, I, I think of Riker as being such a a company man it's kind of yeah. surprising that he doesn't like jump on on these orders like he really does attempt to push back which is 
a major misfire on his part. Angelico is not wrong either. Like his his way about it could maybe use some some sanding off of some corners, but like <laughs> none of his orders seem strange. And you know when he does the he goes station to station with Data, which I think is just like a great decision by Jellico because he gets the straight dope from Data in every moment. Like he'll go up to Jordy and he'll be like, "We gotta recalibrate this thing. What's it gonna take?" And Jordy's like, "Well, geez, it's gonna take two straight shifts around the clock." And Data's like, "Yes, that's actually possible though if you work forty-eight hours straight." And and Jellico's like, "Great, get it done." Yeah. It's almost like like Data. If Jordy could if Jordy could make eyes at Data, he would be though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so Data is a great guy on the side for Jellico as he goes around the ship because because he is getting the expected pushback from the crew but getting the straight honesty from Data in all of those interactions which yeah. which sort of makes Data's honesty a little hostile my, my love is a Well, meanwhile, the captain, the doctor, and Worf are doing some training in the holodeck. They've, uh, they've put on their skin-tight black jumpsuits, and they're running around in these blue styrofoam caves. And it's like, it's all timing and rigging booby traps and shooting Cardassians. That's the best they can do? No, sir, but that's what they did. And they're training for something, but... Only Picard knows any of the details of what they're training for. It would be helpful to know something about our mission. I think Jellico maybe has some some information as well because they kind of like have a, a couple of hushed conversations with each other. Yeah, like Picard's pretty confident in the decision that Starfleet Command has made. He he falls into his new role much easier than Riker does. Yeah. But it's it's interesting that they don't trust Worf and the Doctor enough to fill them in on on what they're doing just yet. There's a physicality to their training that that seems very unexpected. You know, you would expect secret mission to be a little more spycraft and a little less uh, sweaty, I guess. <laughs> but like, there is a there's a practice session where Picard comes back to his quarters and he is like just drenched and spent in a way that you rarely see any officer on board. Like, they are working these people. It's a it's an interesting choice. I mean, like, you think of, like, Navy SEALs or whatever, and they kind of, they kind of exist at a state of readiness. You know, they're, no, they're not, like, letting themselves go between missions. Like, they're ready to be at any point on the planet in 20 hours and, you know, amphibiously assault an enemy prison complex or whatever. And um, and this is not that right. Like Worf can kind of claim some some readiness. Like he he does yoga every day, but <laughs> but like Picard and Beverly are like are basically being asked to be like elite black ops soldiers, and yeah. uh, <laughs> they're big ask, and uh, and they were working their asses off to get ready, but they only have two days, and I, I was a little worried in the in the run up to this like are they going to just be so wrung out at the end of training around the clock for 2 days that by the time the actual mission starts they're just going to be like totally spent <laughs> it's interesting to me that they trained themselves like this is a moment in a story where you could almost expect the drill sergeant type figure who's got to get the crew ready fast and there's not enough time for any bullshit. He doesn't even have enough time to poke out their eyes and skull fuck them, Adam. Who the fuck said that? Right. And what you get instead, like you can only get one of those. And that guy is Jellico. And he's uh, he's in the B story. Or yeah. I guess the co-A story. Well, Picard, Worf, and Beverly pile into uh, a Previa. And um, they take off. And now that they are departed from the ship... Picard uh, gives a little exposition about what's up, and uh, it turns out the Federation suspects that the Cardassians are working on a like a weapon of mass destruction that they can send over subspace to like eat all life on a planet and leave it leave it available for the Cardassians to take over. 
What's it called? A biogenic weapon? Yeah, they call it a metagenic weapon. Oh, metagenic weapon. Oh, my God. I am not familiar with metagenics. And the idea that 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 this could be sent via subspace, like like almost like a radio signal, is sort of terrifying. Like yeah, like the idea of a ghost planet uh, being ready for ready for the takeover after like a month is is crazy to me. Like I wondered if a planet would have the same atmosphere after a month if like all the plant life was killed off and stuff yeah like does that does that immediately change the way a planet's atmosphere works or does that take a while to switch over like would they like would the Cardassians then have to show up with like a ace garden center worth of of plants to bring down to the surface now when you replant in a yard <laughs> you're gonna want to dig a hole for these plants a good six to eight inches around the bulb. We've used a blend of grass seeds, primarily Kentucky bluegrass, but we've pulled up a lot of the crabgrass that was here before. Now you want to make sure that you purchase a high-quality grass seed mix with a good <laughs> portion of fescue, Kentucky rye. What's another one? It's <laughs> <laughs> almost merits research. Adam. Yeah, no, we can't do it. <laughs> spread the spread the seed evenly. And then you. <laughs> I actually watched uh, this old house about redoing the grass in yeah. the yard. I think someone sent that in. Yeah. I watched that too. It was great. We should have watched it more recently. Yeah. But that would count as research, I think, technically. Can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> I, I feel like we may be leaning on the charity of our viewers too much, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> or like. Uh, like we can't do research to the extent that our one of our most beloved r- running jokes uh, is not going to work this time. Uh, that's terrible. <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit forgivable that I couldn't think of a third type of grass. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that I'm forgiven for that. <laughs> Fingers crossed, Adam. Yeah, Ben. The thing about the Cardassians is that like. Is this in character for them? Like, is there anything that we know about them at this point that makes it seem like they would be down down for planet-wide genocide? Like, down for, like... Like, what is their endgame with a weapon like this? Like, do they want to take over whole systems? Is, is there, are they going for, like, a galaxy-wide land grab? Like, what's I their w- deal? I mean, I, like... I have to think, and I think that maybe they could have had, like, one line of dialogue to clear this up. I have to think that you have a weapon like this and you don't use it, but the th- the threat of its existence is enough to yeah. get more at the bargaining table. And and this is kind of, like, what the Cardassians are up to in this episode outside of this is sort of sort of contemporary, right? Like, they're saying... Like, the Cardassians want to take over a specific planet mm-hmm. that s- fell on the Federation side of the line after the war, and they're betting that the Federation isn't going to have the resolve to heat the war back up if they just take the one. And that's basic. like, Putin annexed Crimea, you know? Yeah. Relax, I got this. Like, it's kind of, like, we, we kind of have examples of that being a thing in in real life, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that, like, the U.S. or the or NATO or whatever should have started a shooting war with Russia because of Crimea. Like, I don't really know. Like, I am a fucking idiot when it comes to that stuff, but... This may not I, be the podcast to do a deep dive on those <laughs> issues. <laughs> right. But, like, it is, it is really upsetting that that happened uh, just on a, like, you know... There's something about an international border that seems to be like a an inviolable thing. Yeah, like, there's a it's sacrosanct. Yeah, and the fact that 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 happened and there was no real way to deal with it aside from shooting, and therefore nothing was done really, uh, is really upsetting and 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 weird and and that makes that makes the Cardassians a kind of 
tangibly scary adversary. And, you know, the idea that they're developing this weapon of mass destruction is also really scary. So I, I don't fault the Federation for taking, taking that threat super seriously. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. What is also upsetting is how little intelligence they have to go on before sending three of the most important characters on the show behind enemy (laughs) lines. There's a moment before Picard leaves the ship, like the last moment before he leaves the ship, where he meets with Jellicoe, and Jellicoe's like, well, uh, he basically gives like the Colin Powell weapons of mass destruction presentation, where he's like, (laughs) look, all we know is there's yellow cake, there's aluminum tubes, and there's launchers out there. Like, here's a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, hope you don't get killed. <laughs> Good luck. And, like, that's all they have to go on. It seems incredibly flimsy. And it makes the mission so much more fraught. Like, uh, what are they doing it for? It it seems like Picard is, is a real company man about it. Yeah. I mean, we we expect a certain amount of questioning from Picard when it comes to matters of the Prime Directive, for instance. But and in this matters case, matters of things the Admiralty is telling him that seem crazy. <laughs> yeah, and in this case, it's buttoned up. The ship isn't his. He's going on this mission because Nechev ordered him to. Like he is company man Picard here. Yeah, and well, I think he is around long enough to see that Jellico is a really different command swagger than he does. I think that he and Jellico really respect each other. Yeah. It, it there's sort of like uh it's it's Captain's Club, isn't it? Yeah. Captain Game recognize Captain Game. Yeah. So while the shuttle team is en route to this Cardassian planet where this terrifying weapon is being developed, the new captain of the entrepreneur is getting ready to meet up with a Cardassian gull who is going to like, they're going to like negotiate what's going on with this planet that the Cardassians are sort of flexing uh, at. So we're told, right, that the whole reason that Jellicoe has been installed on this mission is that he's like, He's got these reps with the Cardassians at the diplomatic table, you know? Like, right. He had something to do with the armistice, maybe? Yeah, he knows how to handle them. He knows all their their secrets. And so, he, by repu- play poker with them, you know? Yeah. He knows so, their tells. So, like, we get an idea of his reputation that then is completely, like his pants are pulled down almost immediately like (laughs) he's playing all these games with like you know keep the guy waiting style power move games which is just like irritating right like he walks up to the gull and he goes in for a handshake and he pulls the guy in and pushes him back he uh he ratchets up his seat a little taller than than uh (laughs) than the gull like to make it seem like he's he's taller some pretty weak tea man (laughs) It's all weak tea. I'm going to keep it on it for you guys. All these stupid mind games. Like, fuck, man. That's not being a great diplomat. That's that's being a joker. There's no there there. We and get terrible deals with the Cardassians, and I'm going to go in. I'm going to be the captain of the Enterprise. I'm going to get the best deals. Believe me, you're going to love the deals that I get with them. <laughs> I was in there with the gull. We were having the most beautiful chocolate cake. <laughs> And I got them to stop using the metagenic weapon. I asked him if he wanted to come down to Mar-a-Lago, play play the back nine with me this weekend. It's going to cost the taxpayers $3 million. I think it's very worth it. Believe me. I had a 10-minute conversation with Admiral Nechev, and uh, (laughs) turns out diplomacy with the Cardassians far more difficult than I thought. (laughs) It's not so easy. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the uh, the Cardassians have more intelligence than Jellicoe is expecting. It is shocking, you know. Like it's they sort of rule of threes. This right? They they do the Jellicoe hour late thing. What is going on? I've been waiting here for over I'm an Captain hour. Jellicoe. They do the not ready to negotiate, walk away from the table thing. If the Cardassian Union truly wishes to discuss peace they can send someone who can negotiate in a civilized manner. 
They do the sit at the very end of the table while taking the gull seat away thing. I did not agree to allow others into this meeting. Until finally the gull is like, Hey, I noticed Captain Picard isn't here. It would be a shame if something were to happen to such a... Uh... Such a noted officer. And he basically tells him, I know exactly what you're doing. They're in great danger. Like, he totally flips the table around on him and and, and calls yeah. for and calls for a break in the meeting. And it's at this moment where you know everything's fucked. Like, there's no recovering from this. Right, and it shatters Jellico's game. Like, Jellico has nothing to say after this, but, like, there's ten minutes of episode left. Yeah, yeah. It shatters what little game he had at all. I wish Jellico was a little more competent at this. I wish we actually got to see good, hard negotiation here and to have right. that turn back around on him. Like, what if Jellico were right in his in his diplomacy, like in some way, and we got a different version of this scene where he had some counterfactuals and he was deft and 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 good and skilled instead of like just sloppy and blustery and stupid. Like that would almost make the gull's table flipping even more terrifying. That that he would stare down the face of a great diplomat and still get one over on him. But yeah. it doesn't make the gull look. I mean, the goal is still extremely threatening, and the moment he he confides that he knows the secret plan, it's it's scary and troubling. But uh, but I wonder if it plays any differently if if he's across the table from a more skilled diplomat. I think that this must have been an economy of script yeah. issue because you know they could have gone back and forth three more times, but it, made, it would have made the scene a lot longer. Yeah. I totally agree, though. Like the, and and they've achieved this before with the Romulans, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the Romulans have outchessed them in the past, and it's been devastating and exciting to watch. And this is devastating more that like the Federation had it so wrong so early. You know, when when you get into a Romulan situation, you know you're playing chess already, and I think the Federation thought they were coming to a game of checkers. I can think of very few times where the Federation is on the winning side of that kind of intelligence. <laughs> no, you know, like like so often they they're not getting this shit right, and it makes for more interesting storytelling. I think, yeah. like, I think that's the right side to write it, but yeah. but. You know, for being the good guys, uh, they are they are not also the smart guys. I was thinking if uh, if we ever got our uh, our chance to write a season of Star Trek on a show that wasn't as obviously doomed as Discovery, yeah, uh, the uh, the opportunity to write a Star Trek spy story, like a like the who who are the intelligence officers that are getting this like yeah. that play in the margins that do the dirty tricks uh would be a whole lot of fun like it would be a lot of fun to tell the story about the kind of the part of starfleet that does morally ambiguous things when starfleet is such an outwardly moral entity yeah like turn it seven clicks back from what star trek into darkness did <laughs> You know, yeah, right. Like, like spin the wheel back from that a couple of times, and and get like you say in the margins, not all the way dark, right? But, but like tough decisions have to be made by tough people. Right. Yeah, not we're building an evil enterprise. You can tell it's evil because it's black. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yep. Darth Enterprise, voiced by James Earl Jones. <laughs> yeah. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. Picard, Worf, and Crusher are in the Black Leotards. These Black Leotards are sort of a matte finish. Like, part of the reason they got out of the season one and two uniforms was that they were too form-fitting i think it's interesting that that they that in season six they stick them right back into a skin tight 
Yeah. And you're all you're seeing is face. Like they do a, a really interesting lighting trick here. They stick them in some caves. They only light the faces. You're not seeing a lot of bulge. It's it's a it's it's largely bulgeless. It's kind of the it's kind of the ninja costume of Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and yeah, they're they're slinking around these caves. They're it's it's essentially like a a rock scrambling and rappelling episode from Boy, here on in. And they really got the simulation right. It almost looks exactly like what they practiced for. <laughs> right down to the color of the rocks. Yeah. They get to this door in the in the uh in in the caves and it's like an access hatch to the secret underground lair where the Cardassians are surely developing this terrifying weapon and they uh they like jimmy the lock and they open it up and there's just like one weird Star Trek TOS computer sitting in the middle of an empty room it's just like a silver paper shredder <laughs> Just slowly whirring away on some documents. <laughs> and uh, they're like, well, this was a trick. This was no good. And Yeah, they're expecting a lab. Yeah, so uh, Picard sees the writing on the wall and is like, let's get the fuck out of here. But uh, he is too late and the Cardassians start running in and shooting purple laser beams at them. And uh, it's like... It's a pretty it's a pretty tense scene, but it's not I feel like the like when you're having when you're doing an action scene, you really want to establish the kind of parameters of a space so mm. you know like where somebody could run and duck yeah. if they wanted to dodge something and like what the points of egress and ingress are, so you know where the bad guys are coming from and where the heroes are gonna try to escape to. And I feel like Anytime they need a hole for more Cardassians to come out of, they just have it magically. Like yeah. they haven't really set this up at all, so it it uh, it's a pretty unfair fight for that reason. Worf and Beverly managed to get through the door, but uh, at the cost of the captain getting grabbed, and uh, and uh, Worf gets Worf takes like a phaser before he can run back in, and uh, and the door like slams shut behind him. Worf puts up a good fight, but the door wins again. <laughs> you know? Isn't it always like that, Adam? It's, it, that's sort of one of, the, um, one of the sort of Aristotelian tropes that this, this show always returns to, is that Klingons and doors are not good friends. Worf is sort of like the Janellen to the, the door of the Dyson Sphere. He uses himself <laughs> to hold it open. <laughs> yeah uh, Dr. Crusher man manages to turn herself 90 degrees and fly through <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Yeah And so the Cardassians Close in on a now Isolated Picard Picard drops his dustbuster Knowing it's over Yeah It's gotta be terrifying that is on the other side of the feeling. on the other side of the door. Worf and Beverly are like, "We got to go back." Worf is like, "We got to go back in there," and Beverly's like, "I mean, she's right, right? Like when you know you're that outnumbered, you you have to retreat, don't you?" Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere to there's nowhere to go. I think. I think the case that she's making without making it fully is that the only chance of rescuing Picard is escaping the planet and and giving word that he's been captured to remain an attempt to 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 rescue him now would only mean dying and then no one would know where they are or how to rescue them. Yeah. The um I mean you know this is this is a a thing that they are dealing with constantly on this show is like one of the main people is in a compromised situation. What do we do? And turn tail and run is not an option they select all that often. Yeah. So, uh, it feels really crazy that they do it. If, yeah, I mean, you know, in some seasons, I feel like you would get a line of dialogue out of Worf where he would rather die than leave a warrior behind. 
and this doesn't feel quite right for his character to to listen to Beverly of all people so easily about this. But yeah. also he's been wounded and shit is coming down on them super fast. So, I mean, I guess in this, the moment I can understand it. Yeah, and I mean, I just I feel like this would have been like this is this is where the person writing draft 1 of this script realizes like it just doesn't make sense for Picard to be there with the Doctor and Worf. Like, we need a black ops team that is people that are specially trained for this and maybe, like, write it so that they wind up not trusting Picard that much and they make a, an understandable decision to ditch. Or they go down in, like, a hail of phaser fire doing what maybe Worf should have done. But, you know, they can't kill off Worf, right? <laughs> I think what we're running into here is is like we're running out of runway like like we do on episodes of this kind like I'm going to advocate for a three-parter here again like because it would bulk up this moment in the way that you're saying but also like we skip over the entire ride to the planet that they have to hitch with the Ferengi right and like how do they get dropped off on the planet? Uh, is there is there a getaway car waiting for them that's supposed to <laughs> that they're supposed to beam back up to? Like, right? Yeah. How are they going to get back? There's all of this connective I, tissue on the story that's missing that that serves the story. It is sort of implied by Jellico that this is a suicide mission, right? Like, yeah. Like he says, he like looks Picard in the eye and goes, "Like you're probably not coming back from this one." That's so fucked. Yeah. Well, uh, the final scene of the episode is on the Death Star, and they walk Picard into the uh, antechamber of the Emperor's throne room or whatever, and uh, there is this this Cardassian sitting there, and Picard is in, like, he's in, like, his jumpsuit and handcuffs, and... uh, and this British Cardassian stands up and explains to Picard that he's going to be a very interesting challenge. Yeah, it's going to be some real Brit on Brit, isn't it? Sure is. They probably both like the same tea, huh? You think that the, that this guy is from the London of Cardassia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's a sort of evil that... Uh, like the evilest kind of evil is the kind that does not that isn't showy about it, you know? Like mm-hmm. nothing could be cooler than this gull in this moment because he is so almost kind, almost uh, a matter-of-factly threatening with Picard's life. He's like, "Look, buddy, uh I'm going to ask the questions around here or I'm going to kill you." Like if he were talking about any, if you didn't know what language he was speaking, you would think they were just talking about lunch, you know? Yeah. Fascinating tease and then smashed to, to be continued. It's one of the smashiest smashes of to be continued they've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Mid season to be continued. Fun times. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? One of the best, Ben. I I, uh, I can't say that it's not on my mountain. It was enjoyable tip to tail. I mean, for, it had issues, and those issues were ones that we talked about, but none of them were enough to make it a bad episode. They were just choices. I, uh, I agree. I think that, um, generally speaking, this is a pretty terrific hour of television. Um, not without concerns and i think that you know some of that is just like the constraints of making television but uh but it's pretty great it is an amazing tone shift from the quality of life episode that we just watched boy it really is there's some tonal whiplash for sure this episode is really all about trust to me it's the amount of trust that picard has for the machine that he's inside the amount of trust that an Enterprise crew will give any captain who commands them. You know, it's 
it's how much of that is earned versus how much mm-hmm. of that is just connoted through a position. You know, the amount of trust that everyone has to show Necheyev for for being the quarterback on this on this mission. Right. And the amount of trust that maybe she may or may not have in herself, because there's that scene towards the end where she sends the coded message to Jellico and she's like, How's it going? And he <laughs> and well Angelico's like, How's it going? And Necheyev is like I don't know. Uh, Jellico's like, well, we lost the transmission, so uh, I think we'll have an answer one way or the other pretty soon. And they just, like, they so clearly do not have a grasp on the situation at all. They, they, have, they have a gut sense that everything is fucked, but they don't know enough to know how fucked it is. Yeah, the restraint on either the writer's side or the performance to... To not betray that, I think was great. Like to keep it ambiguous in the way that they did, I thought was good. Like it is, it's it's such a, a magic trick to fuck everything up as much as this, and then end the episode because you know that they're going to have to dig themselves out of this whole next episode. Yeah. and that's sort of like Louis C.K. does that with stand-up sometimes. Yeah, and um, it's always fun to watch. Just like. Like you, this episode ends, and the worst thing in the world, short of Picard as a Borg, has happened. Yeah, he's a Borg. Oh no! Ah! <laughs> Picard's a Borg. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well, Adam. Do you want to uh, move on to messages of the first priority? Unlike the code that Jellico is transmitting to Admiral Nechev, open a secure channel to Admiral Nechev. Priority two, put it through to my ready room, sir. Yeah, hey, uh, Admiral, why don't you elevate that up to priority one? I think everyone would understand if this is a priority <laughs> one message to check the status of this secret mission. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we've got a couple of P1s here. The first is from Lieutenant HBC and Crewman Landers to the Jester Fergusons. Oh, we've heard from these folks before, right? Yeah. Here's the message. Please be advised that Lieutenant HBC, she who is my wife, (laughs) will be adding a new cadet to the duty roster in October. The finest crew in Portland looks forward to serving with the girl. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Is that our first baby announcement, Priority One? God, you know, at the at the risk of of insulting someone who may have P one this before, I think it is. It's it's one of a very few at the at, yeah. at the very least, which is uh, those are always touching. Wow, congratulations, guys! Yeah, big congrats. Hopefully I uh, we'll be back in Portland sometime soon to. Uh, to do another live show, huh? I am... Look, Ben, I think... I think you and I are of the same mind on this. We are interested in growing our viewership by yes. by any means necessary, both by, <laughs> both by marketing, by touring, and by actual reproduction. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so thanks for the help, guys. That's the way we're going to do it, Adam. <laughs> ben, our... Second priority one message is from Pam Alexander Pamilton of the Clan Pam. <laughs> it is for Trevunculus Triacle Trev Trevels of the Utmost Dimension. <laughs> I feel like these are exercises I should do before we record a show. Like, yeah. <laughs> Red to, leather, yellow leather. To Red elast- leather, yellow leather. Elasticize my pronunciation. <laughs> the message goes like this. You are my curmudgeonly heartstring. My raw... God. I, I evidently needed more linguistic training before reading this. The tip of the tongue, the teeth, and the lips. Lion face. Lemon face. <laughs> <laughs> You are my curmudgeonly heartstring, my walrus that barks at midnight. Your hipster seawalls have crumbled under my oceany blast of dorkitude. <laughs> Inevitable 
and likely glorious for you. Your birthday adulation is well received, Trevels, and shall continue. Next, admit what a flaming piece of shit gravity is. Seriously, fuck that movie. Love, Pam! <laughs> gravity was not a piece of shit. Look, I, I think Pam is great. I enjoy saying Pam's name in mm-hmm. the way that I've been instructed to. However, yes. I did enjoy Gravity. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Yeah, that re- long takes. That re-entry scene. Ooh. Ooh, mama. The uh the crawl out of the swamp like uh like primordial human. Spoiler alert. That was great. That was great. That, w- that that's uh look, we can agree. We can agree on a lot of things, Pam. Mostly mostly uh how majestic the oceany blast of Dorkitude can be. <laughs> but uh, one place that we do disagree muchly about is the relative quality of the movie Gravity. I don't know that I've seen a Quaron that I didn't think was great. That's what I'm saying, man. I ride for Quaron big time. Love those long takes. Love them. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing we love as much as a long take... Wait a, a second. It's a long P1. <laughs> thought you were wrapping up the show, buddy. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would never. Those who wish to see how long they can stretch our takes can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and submit a, uh, a personal long take or a commercial long take. Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200, and they help with the ongoing production of our program. Thanks, guys. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time. And they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. 
We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did, Ben. You know, there's a certain spirit about drunk Shimodas where they are often the ones who are having who are having the most fun in a scene and mm-hmm. and to me like no one inhabits that feeling more than Ronnie Cox like the times when i feel the most envy for actors on the show are when an actor parachutes in to an episode and they just take it over they like <laughs> box out everyone else and they've like i've got this and Ronnie Cox is that guy. And it's got to be such a great treat for an actor to be like, this is a show that's six seasons in. And I have a chance to like flip everything upside down and be the yeah. captain of the Enterprise. Like, they are you fucking kidding? They made me a peanut kidding? butter and banana sandwich and I'm going to eat that shit up. Yeah. And, and he goes all the way on Jellico. Like, no half measures. He is amazing you can't take your eyes off of him like like he is he is all the way at 11 on his character and that seems like the most fun thing to do if you're an actor he clearly looks like he's having a blast he is he is an atrocity as a captain in many ways (laughs) but like i love him i i i ride for jellico for sure so he's my drunk shimoda nice how about you ben I, I'm uh, so used to this this flipping <laughs> format. I wasn't sure what to do there. <laughs> uh, my Shimoda is uh, is Worf. Um, we didn't really deal with this scene much in our little review, but there is a scene where they're in kind of another B minus Star Wars cantina, and they arrange for transport with some Ferengi who is delivering shit to this Cardassian planet. And the way they do it is like Picard kind of goes and gives a square business proposition to hmm. the Ferengi. And this is like a guy who he's like the guy that will will take it to the guy. He's not <laughs> he's not the captain that they of the ship they're trying to get on. He's just a go between. Yeah. Picard fails to to book this. Beverly then puts on her womanly charm and breathily and touchily implores this Ferengi to do what they're asking him to do. I would be very, very, yes, grateful. Really, like, just put some potting mix in that in that terracotta and digs a little hole with her finger and climbs in. They cut back to Picard sitting at the at the table, and you just hear a <laughs> from underneath it. <laughs> yeah, you Picard's got to be liking this. But you you also in that shot have Worf standing just over his uh, his right shoulder, and Worf just looks so disgusted. Yeah, <laughs> like Michael Dorn said volumes in the way he portrayed Worf in this scene and like I don't think Worf has any lines in the scene necessarily yeah or very few but uh but Worf definitely has strong feelings about the potted plant situation that's taking place and I feel like he is reacting to the writer's room as much as anything so uh Worf got my Shimoda for this episode yeah I don't feel like a warrior does this you know like a warrior is unfamiliar with this sort of coercion No, not into it. 
it's a uh, it's it, it too much exploits the uh the like you know and like come on Ferengis are too easy to manipulate like if they're going to be an interesting adversary and all you have to do is unzip your uniform a little bit and and get a breathy voice going like not scary anymore i love a cantina scene and they clearly have the set for it <laughs> i i, I want to go back here all the time you bring up a great point about the, does it always have to be a ferengi like there was a there was a uh, an opera house alien in this scene like why not why not use him let's yeah. let's let's use a different alien let's use a different alien <laughs> Nope. <laughs> hey, Ben, uh, do we do we ever finish this two-parter? What's coming up in the next episode? Next episode is season six, episode eleven, Chain of Command, part two. So we're well, we're not going to get a Ronnie Cox part two. While under the command of an unfeeling new captain, the Enterprise attempts to res- rescue Picard. From the Cardassians. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Uh, I remember four episodes. <laughs> I believe there were five. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a longer arc than I think you're than you're remembering. Yeah, yeah. The exciting conclusion. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It's been a long time since I've seen uh, either of these episodes, so I'm excited to dig back in. Me too. Well, that will be our next one. In the meantime, we've got uh, lots of ways that you can connect with us and other viewers of the show. Uh, you can use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Adam is at CutForTime. I'm at Benjamin R. A-H-R. I keep dropping my pen, man. Uh, you can go on Facebook. There's a great Facebook Greatest Gen group. There's a great subreddit. Those are, uh, those are lively and fun communities. Not full of assholes. Yeah. Like all other online things. Yeah. Surprisingly asshole free. Yeah. Somebody on the Facebook had like a post like trying to decode why it was so asshole free. And I was like, man, I wish I knew why this was so asshole free. I don't know that we deserve it, but it's it's really delightful. There is a secret Facebook group just of Maximum Fun hosts and producers and one of the recent questions or topics brought up was like, oh, guys, how do you even deal with this Facebook thing? Like, it's just a fucking <laughs> riot of fists and fur. And like, <laughs> how many how many moderators do you get? Like, you need like 20 moderators, right? And I was I read this thread and I was like, wow, we are really lucky. I started to like type that. a response and it was like, this is just going to either come off as braggy or I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. No, I have nothing to contribute. I stayed out of I that too for the same reason. We, we didn't do anything to engender that. That's uh, that's yeah. all you guys and yeah. you guys are great. Yeah. Um, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for a lot of the other great music you hear on the show. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that will be four hours long! MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.